Nicolas Cage is probably one of our generation's definitive actors. Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting. It's your main man Andy Gillard here. Hope everyone's good out there. Hi everybody, Matt Guy here. Hope everyone's doing well today. I hope you're all enjoying lockdown 2.0 in the UK. Americans, freedom as always. Hello. So this week, fellas, we've got a couple mysteries of Cage to be looking at. We're going to start off with... One of the craziest films that I think we've watched for this uh, for this project. We're going to be starting off with Colour Out of Space. Look at this. All those years in the big city, we finally got out. We're living the dream. Maybe it is a dream. like a pink light or actually I don't even know what color it was it wasn't like any color I'd ever seen before looks like a meteorite you mean it's radioactive I mean it's from space right meteorites are generally no more dangerous than ordinary rocks how can something that big just disappear did you plant those no Ward you come here for a sec oh god what are you doing? Shh. It's talking to me. Who's talking to you? A man in the well. Going into this film, I, I knew nothing about it. I went in completely blind. I've got no experience with any Lovecraft work, really. The closest I've come to Lovecraft would probably be like your Hellboy sort of stuff. So... I had no expectations or knowledge whatsoever going in. And I've got to admit, I, coming out of it, I actually kind of want to read some Lovecraft now. I'm I'm a little bit intrigued what to expect from it all. Well, I've, mm. as I was saying, I've, I've watched Lovecraft Country, which is finished now, 10-part ten, ten season um, on HBO. And if you think this is fucked up, then that's uh, that's another level. <laughs> it's... Again, I, I was—I think this is probably the first time in this whole run that I've watched both of these films first before both of you. Because when the, yeah. when this was first going to be put, was it going to be Face Off? Because it was sci-fi. Yeah, that's right. And I, I watched it ahead of time, so I thought, well, everyone loves Face Off, and we've all seen it. So I went into it and I watched it, and straight away I said, "We can't put this next to that." <laughs> I mean, you can't really put it next to anything, really, but it's just—it's—it's <laughs> it's a work of something. Yeah, I um I learned the lessons of uh, mom and dad and didn't watch any trailers, didn't watch anything, so I can go in it completely fresh, not have any preconceptions about what was going on. I'm really glad I did as well because we'll, we'll talk about its originality and, and stuff like that, and I'm glad I didn't have any opinions on it prior to watching it. Yeah, and going back to Stu's point there about putting it next to Face Off, I think it would have been a terrible idea because 
these are two very big films that sort of need a bit more breathing space, mm-hmm. yeah, which great. is why I think putting this next to knowing we've got something of a palate cleanser coming up after Colour Out of Space, I think. But this film, it begins with a voiceover and it's about a mysterious towns and glens and how the town of Arkham is evil. And I've said on this podcast a few times, I hate voiceovers at the start of films. I think they're a very cheap way of just dumping a shitload of exposition without really going into any depth. I've always said I would prefer the show-not-tell version of things. But I don't know if it's just the, the gentleman's voice or what he was saying or the way he was saying it. I found that opening monologue really evocative and enticing. I thought it was really well done. I was immediately suckered into the film. I was just literally going to jump in straight after you, halfway through that then, and say, you're wrong this time. <laughs> because yeah, absolutely. Again, knowing nothing about it, putting it on, and that, like you said, being evocative, that's probably the best word for it, because, it, it, I mean, putting this on at any time of day, I mean, you really, you need to watch it on your own at night with no lights on. And even a little bit tired, thinking, you know, it's going to be terrible, and then straight away, you're like, in. And it's in, mm. you're hooked straight away. Mm. I um, I, I didn't really, not knowing a grasp of what was going to be happening with it. I didn't. It, it built a good level of kind of intrigue and mystique about it. I guess, um, going into like, okay, this isn't. You just know straight away this doesn't feel like a cheap Nick Cage needing the money kind of film. It felt like it had depth from the start because of the uh, the open. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. The very, very opening of the film, so before you actually see anything, when you've just got the title cards, I was a little bit worried Mm. because there's like five or six different production companies. (laughs) It's just a black screen with white text on it. I thought, oh, God, this is going to be another one of them shockers, isn't it? And then when you come out of the the blackness of that into the silhouettes that they show of the trees against a a grey sky, like you said, you immediately think, oh, actually, no, this is going to be a little bit different. And a little bit different is probably <laughs> something of an understatement. <laughs> so the first human that we see is a young lady, Lavinia Gardner. She's speaking like one of the witches from Macbeth. She's praying for the gods to remove cancer from her mother's body and for her own freedom from this town. Wood Phillips then rocks up. That's the man from the voiceover. He interrupts the young lady He's here to inspect the dam and he's some kind of hydro scientist. He immediately gets onto the young lady's bad side, but there's some flirty energy going on. I thought it was quite a nice little meet cute, that one, for those two. Especially Lakeside as well. I mean, again, harks back to... I'm, I'm sure that every single film we've watching here has got some link to Supernatural now. Because there's, so, there's so many <laughs> things like this that happen in that show. Yeah, it's It's completely... Well, we're gonna, it's spoiler warning anyway, because who cares? But it's, it is like three, five, six, seven, eight different films mashed into one. Because <laughs> you look at this compared to 10 mm. minutes later on, and you think, what the hell's going on? Mm. And I completely, for, I completely forgot about this. And it, it's what, two hours before the end, straight after the start of the film, and it's two hours later. You think, well, do you remember that bit on the uh, at the riverbank, <laughs> the lakeside? <laughs> well, I thought we were, I thought it was going to end up like the village. Remember that? Like the twist at the end of the, uh, the, well, not the twist at the end of the village, I suppose the whole of the village being, oh, okay, is this not, I assumed it was some kind of sci-fi-y thing, but now we're getting like Wiccan 
Wiccan ceremonies and stuff like that. And I thought, hmm, interesting this. Like, where's this going? And then he rocks up in like a university sweater. <laughs> like a hoodie. And I thought, oh, okay. In other words, it's not what I thought it was at all. Lavinia then returns home to her family farm. She finds Nathan Gardner, that would be Nick Cage. He's dozing on the porch. We watch straight away that is quite a thick head of hair he's rocking at the start. And it's full on mahogany brown. He's had a bit of work there, definitely. It's um, it looks like a a, a mid nineties just for men advert. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> uh, we get to see that Cage is the laid back, fun parent, and Teresa, who is played by Jodie Richardson, she's the tightly wound warrior of the uh, the, the parental group. Yeah, I love Jodie Richardson in Nip Tuck, which was a kind of a drama set in a plastic surgery clinic with Julian McMahon and. Who was the other guy? <laughs> Dylan Walsh. Dylan Walsh, yeah, that's the one. Mm. Who's in one of them things that probably went over a lot of people's heads because it was on Sky. Um, I think it was on, buried on Sky One at the time, and she was excellent in that. Absolutely excellent. And like you said, that she's never really, she never stands out, even though in that she kind of did, but she was over, kind of outshone by the other two. So it was one of them where, where it, it was a decent performance, but it was buried. And in this, I think, again, she's very good. But there's other people around her who better. Yeah. I think with like Nip Tuck, one of my favourite storylines which involved her was when she fell in love with Peter Dinklage, which was <laughs> the first time I'd seen him in anything as well. And he was magnificent in that. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed Nip Tuck and that's a, a good call. Uh, the only time, I don't think I can even recognise her from remotely is a buddy 101 Dalmatians. <laughs> she's super young like super young like yeah. she's a good looking old lady in in the color out of space to be fair but like she's super young in uh in this and i was trying to like, rack my brains like i know we're in something i know we're in something what is it but yeah 101 dimensions fantastic sure. and i, mean, I thought that, i'm looking uh, this up now so i can't remember in there <laughs> i thought that uh, nick cage he he seemed like he was channeling his inner damon mccready he felt very much like Big Daddy out of the costume, <laughs> that he was this friendly, fatherly, sweet kind of a guy. And I really liked that because he, he gave me that, that memory of one of my favourite films. Oh, that was awesome. Yeah, it, it, it's that channeled with a bit of pre-virus or whatever you want to call it, mum and dad cage. <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> wanting to remain hip and relevant and, and still that little bit cool like um, part of him as well. I thought it was um, a nice mix of the two. Mm. And I liked the family meal scene that we, we got early doors. So we, we get to see the family. It's very well balanced. So everyone has their own little niche within the, the family unit. Nathan is laid back and happy. Teresa is highly strung. Lavinia is a cynical bitch. Uh, brother Benny, he's a stoner. And the youngest brother, Jack, he's just an excitable kid. Um, it was a good allegory for the different people within society. I thought that it was it had a bit of everybody in there. I thought that was a really cool way to show it. Mm, well, hold that thought. <laughs> it's yeah. a little later on. It's almost like your two point five children kind of situation as well. It's your typical family of everyone being different to each other, right? As well as mm. being societal. Unfortunately, that doesn't last for long <laughs> because. Uh, Later that night, whilst Nathan is rocking Teresa's world, a meteorite hits in their yard. The young boy seemingly goes into shock and Cage cannot stop bemoaning this smell. But no one else seems to notice it. 
and it's just this meteorite in the ground that is magenta, I think is the correct colour. It's mm-hmm. a mix of anything and everything, and it, it's a very unique-looking thing that this this tiny thing just changes their whole world. Did you think at this point that it might have been in his head? Because he kept going on about the smell and nobody else mentioned it, I thought, okay, there is something that's affecting him and not them. I couldn't quite tell if it was going to be, it was all a, a dream or what, but it, there was definitely something amiss, but I couldn't quite put my finger on it at this point. Uh, the following day, the sheriff and the mayor arrived to inspect. The mayor just comes across as a complete uncaring bitch. Her only response when she finds out that young Jack is sick is, it's your own fault you should have sold me this house when you had chance. <laughs> like, what the fuck is your problem? I, I didn't, I couldn't quite grasp where she was going with it. And then she never comes back, so it never really gets picked up or resolved. But as Matt said, we, we will get there. Uh, Ward then turns up to discuss the surveillance of all the water issues that he's having. Um, he then goes to visit the gardener's neighbour, Ezra, played by Tommy Chong. Unsurprisingly, he plays a hippie pothead. <laughs> <laughs> Whilst he's there, Ward notices that there's this weird film of oil on the water. Disturbed by this, he takes this to be tested. Uh, whilst testing the water, the litmus paper turns bright red, much like the colour of the meteorite that is sat in the yard. I don't know why, but obviously they sent Ward to do all these investigations and they haven't even put him in a hotel. He's just got a massive fucking tent in the middle of nowhere. It really tickled me that it did, because it was such a big tent and he's on his own. And All I could think was, that must have been a bitch to put up and that would be a nightmare to take down. Trump's America. <laughs> quite <clears throat> that night a thunderstorm arrives striking the meteor several times and then by morning it's disappeared but what's left in its place is a much brighter bigger colour palette previously everything had basically had a grey tinge to it now the greens look greener the blues bluer everything was like earthy colours I think is probably the best way to put it so everything was basically green blue and brown was your main colours now everything has got shades of red involved in it I thought the use of cinematography and mise-en-scene in this was quite beautiful really the way it just completely changed the world just by adding that extra dash of colour to it it was fantastic it's a bit like the um, remember that excellent probably late, late 90s early 2000s film Evolution Oh yeah. yes, yeah, yeah. That film. Where it went from one color to the other, and it's very, it reminded me a lot of that. So I kind of giggled, and then I kind of regretted giggling at all in this film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no time for laughter in this, is there? <laughs> uh, whilst they were prepping that night's dinner, we get our first bit of actual fear seep into the film. The strings on the non-diegetic music, with they were just getting tighter and more tense. Asked Jerry Richardson. As Teresa was chopping those uh, carrots and the young boy walks over and he just thinks, shit, what's going to happen? Because it, it's either going to be she's going to hurt herself or she's going to hurt the kid. He genuinely didn't know what was going to happen. I thought it was fantastic. And then she cuts her fingers off. But... I know, this got me. <laughs> this proper got yeah. me. I was like, whoa, what the fuck's going on here? It, it, it was because um, it, it, it felt out of the blue and it felt like... 
it, it, it had elements that this could be a, a, an out-and-out horror film at parts. Mm. And then I thought, okay, we, we, we're getting into it now. Where's the pillow? I need to hide. Like, it, <laughs> it, it was getting there. Um, and this, this got me, and I thought it was really well done. Really, really excellently done. Yeah, the fact that she just carries on like nothing's happened, and yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, and then like bottom where he's, the blood's spurting out of his fingers, it's just <laughs> it's like one of them kind of out of body experiences more than anything else. And mm-hmm. again, very much is so. Yeah, it was. I think watching horror films sometimes when you a lot of them because we've I've watched a lot more since we've been done, doing this over the last four and five months than I ever have in my life, um, and. You always get, especially when I'm watching it on my own, you get that kind of tingle in the back of your neck. Mm. And I got this from this scene, which never normally happens with a bit of like when watching torture porn and gross stuff happening. Never normally happens, but with this one, for some reason, like Matt said, it got me. I don't know why. It was perfectly played. I think the the the, the setting, the the pace of it was perfect. The use of the music really it built to that crescendo that you need. It was a lesson in Hitchcockian work. It was fantastic. Really, really well done. So she gets rushed to the hospital. The following day, that's when things really start to turn weird back at the house. So we've got the three kids who are left tending the farm, basically. Young Jack, he's talking to the man down the well. The alpacas are out, even though Benny's put them away already at that point. And more new colours are introduced. These are brighter than they were before and it's starting to infiltrate the greens so no longer is it just a green green it's now got flecks of red with these new alien looking flowers that spring as if from nowhere yeah it was <laughs> i'd have to point point something out at this uh, at this point now so Stu, i think you've probably got the most expensive and and lavish television out of everybody here um so i'm guessing all the colors and everything came through like amazing for you um, it, it was HDR tastic, yeah. What you mean to say? <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. But I, I have um, like protonomaly and due to anomaly when it comes what? to my vision, so I can't see reds and greens very well. Um, not terrible. Like I can, I know when a red is a red, but it sometimes bleeds into brown and stuff like that. So I really struggled with some of the colours in this. Like apart from when it's like Bret Hart shocking pink. Um, like it all, some of it kind of bled into into itself. And I remember um, I watched a video of, like after the end of the the film, just to like go over it in a bit more depth because I'm a bit dense and quite get all of it. And he was like, "Yeah," and they were talking about some of like the purples and the pinks. I was like, "Huh?" I don't, like all I saw was like the same shade of thing the whole way through. So if anybody if anybody on the Twitter um, had uh, watches this and has the same kind of thing get in touch and we could you know there are literally dozens of us i'm sure who listen who, who, <laughs> who have the same thing so it's not yeah. color it's not colorblind it's like a, no no, no. Of... it's not colorblind it's not the absence of these colors so it's like gray it's just like colors bleed into like others so where where like my wife might say something is purple it looks like more pink or more red or something like that it's just like colors bleed into each other a bit more and like mm. oranges get confused for like certain darker reds and a lot more browns get mixed into reds and stuff like that. Um, so when, you struggle when we play Liverpool then? <laughs> no, nah, it's not like it's not like that. It's not like something that like, but you know, like your the, like you know that your wall shirt, the like the the um the the third kit. Yeah, well, this yeah, say like this one, but no one can see. 
Uh, well, yeah, exactly. Like, t- like everybody says about how maroon that is, mm. um, but to me, that's just—it's just that might as well be. It's not too dissimilar to the Mario cap you've got behind on Mario, the thing on Mario's head. Cappy. Cappy. Um, <laughs> Interesting. So yeah, it's, as, as I say, or, or, when we talk about like the vibrant colours of the film, I feel a little bit let down in that I just couldn't couldn't quite get the grasp of it, and I'd like to have seen it through Stu's mega telly, basically. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I never even thought about it, but obviously people who do suffer with colour blindness, they tend to be red green colour blind. That's the most common one, yeah. Like the, like is, the most the so, most yeah. the most rare is is to blues, um which um which I think is extremely rare. But yeah, reds and greens is what most people struggle with, um, generally speaking. So this would be something of a nightmare for people. I mean, at least you could still differentiate mm-hmm. to an extent, but I never even never even clocked that, but yeah, geez. Uh, and whilst in the garden, we also see this pink, purple, violet coloured insectoid that comes up from the well. I shuddered when I saw that. <laughs> this is that moment of like the, the hackles on the back of your neck creeping up. You could feel it. It looked genuinely creepy as shit. It was great. Ward then arrives back at the house and he tells Lavinia, do not drink the water. There is something wrong with it. Ward then goes to visit Ezra to give him the same warning. Ezra confirms that his cat G-Spot is missing. Ward (laughs) tells him he'll keep an eye out. Ezra responds, you may see him, but I doubt you'll recognise him. That's probably the only joke in this film, is the fact that Ezra's got a pussy called G-Spot, which is quite funny, to be honest. Mm, It is good, to be fair. I love love the fact that they um, gave us the answers in this scene but it, all it does is build up the suspense of what's going on so even if at this point you don't really know where the film's going when he says oh you might not recognize him okay bang i'm looking forward to seeing some scary shit cat now do you know what i mean like you know where <laughs> he's going and then when he talks about oh, i can hear them like downstairs in the basement or whatever what, what he said it was just done really really well like you know and i'm still working this film out is it signs you know the um the alien film <laughs> You know, is it like War of the Worlds? Is it this? Is it that? Like what? Like what? I'm still like piecing together the the, the clues of what's going on, um, and then it gives you, it just feed, it just drip feeds you this information bit by bit to help you build the picture of what's eventually going to climax to. Um, and I thought this scene was excellent as well. We, we we skirted over like some of the humor um, in this film, like you mentioned about G Spot the cat when he's being interviewed, and he, and she goes, uh, "Did you have a drink?" during all this and then all of a sudden it <laughs> pops up with um whiskey connoisseur or bourbon connoisseur under the under uh, the guys now like it, it, this film doesn't t- like allow itself to just be one genre it allows itself to be scary funny sci-fi does it really nicely uh, um, i thought every every time we went back to his little hippie hut for the first two-thirds of the film every time you saw it i thought yes you're gonna get more of him because he was yeah. the best part of the film for a long time yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he he had the feeling of like one of those characters in in Grand Theft Auto that you go to, like, <laughs> yeah, to side missions yeah. <laughs> that like they they that they're in in it for so little they have to cram so much like good stuff into like into a character. You felt oh, like, you, like, like the stuff in the um when you're in the in the wilderness with like Trevor's friends. Like <laughs> <laughs> exactly. At this point, Nathan and Teresa return home. There's a complete change in the air. Nathan is getting pissy. 
Jackie's outside and the alpacas have escaped yet again. Even though they'd been put there twice already in that day. And now Cage, his mannerisms completely change. Even his voice changes. His speech pattern's different. He he looks physically different. Like you can see, like his mouth, it's much tighter and much more aggressive than it was when we saw him you know, earlier that day. He's a, almost a different person. And also he's punctuating his sentences. He's articulating wildly with hand movements. Gone is the uh, the laid callback dad that he, he was, and now he's just this snappy little bitch who will not listen to his kids. <laughs> he's always we as well. We will come back to this. Yeah, this is something we're going to discuss in the crazy section of the uh, of, of this podcast. But I would like to just splice in a clip here just to see if you can figure out where you think this character is going. Uh, what the fuck are you talking about? Nothing has been fucking this place up. You know, I've had it with your drama, Lavinia. So do me a favor and get the fuck out of my sight, okay? No, no, actually, I'll save you the trouble and get the fuck out of yours. God, what is that smell? What smell? We washed everything. Exactly the same smell as the cancer war where my father was. You know, death, disinfectant, the cancer smell, rotting milk, you know the smell. The next day, we wake up to even more colour and even more alien-looking shit that is going on as Nick Cage is picking up all these fruits that have just almost deformed. They, they look like pumpkin tomatoes almost. They're unique-looking things. And this is the probably the first bit of proper Crazy Cage we get. We get a bit of Crazy Cage and a bit of Crazy Jolie in this bit, where they're having this argument in the kitchen and he's just going ape shit because all of the fruits, no matter what he does, they all taste like shit. <laughs> and Jolie's getting angry because the internet is stopping her from working. Everything's going wrong, even though they're trying their hardest. Yeah, we never we haven't even mentioned that that she was working from home and blaming him for not paying to um, get a service on the dodgy the dodgy Wi-Fi situation. <laughs> <laughs> that night gets even stranger. Lavinia carves a symbol into her flesh, and then Teresa and Jack get struck by pink light, melding the two of them together. It was almost like the Spice Girls were singing about this film when they said two became one. <laughs> By the way, I mean, that is a fucking great song. Stu, you're a big Christmas film fan. Does that extend to Christmas music? Do you like Christmas songs as well? Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. And that um, that video is perfect as well. I mean, Jerry in that in that green tank top. Times Square. See, I've, I've always been about um, Victoria Adams. Fuck Beckham. You know, you don't recognise we'll her actual name. That's it. That's right. It's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> The next day, the earthly colours are pretty much gone. We only have shades of red left. I noticed in this scene, Nick Cage's shirt. So at the very beginning, when we first see him, he's wearing a steel blue, grey, just a single colour shirt. And then the next day, we see him in a shirt that is, it's a plaid shirt, but it's mostly white with flecks of red. And in this scene, it's a plaid shirt again but it's just red, it's red and black plaid shirt. So Cage, his character has gone from grey to red slowly, mm. much like the rest of the scene. I thought that was really clever, really well done. That. 
Um, yeah, excellent way of showing the the growth and the changes within the character. It's fantastic, really clever. This is why he's the host. This is why he's the host. Yeah, that's right. This is why you shouldn't illegally download a film and put it on your laptop and watch it while you're doing the washing up. <laughs> you missed stuff like this. <clears throat> the monstrous mess of Jack and Teresa. Jerisa, do we call it? Or is it Thack? I'm not quite sure. <laughs> the noises they make because they're in pain. It's not a loud howl. It, it's not. It's much more mournful and guttural, maybe. Mm. It's these horrible... It's like it's a pain in their soul, not just a pain of their physicality. And I thought that was disturbing. It wasn't scary. It was disturbing because it, yeah. you you can hear a scream and like, okay, shit, you jump to action. But when you hear that, it's like, there's nothing I can do to help. And I thought that was really effective. It was fantastic. And the practical makeup puppetry, whatever it was, was incredible. As well, yeah, it great, for, it? for a film that's again no one's even heard of, and with all the splash screen, different studios involved, to have effects like this was superb. I was really, it, I think that's probably kind of a mix of both of them things. That why I was really impressed with this box. I thought, shit, that's mm. that's actually really good. I mean, they could quite easily have done some kind of shitty Scorpion King and done it in really bad CG. Yeah, but no, I mean, fair play to them. Am I the only person who, for a split second, thought some kind of alpaca human <laughs> thing was going on? Because I thought that that's where they, like, it ended up being some kind of like there were going to be hybrids of all of the things that these things, are, this this entity has, has touched and sapped the soul from, and that's what that's where I, again the, the 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 I don't know the abomination that you want to call it between the two that were like spliced together. Um, I just thought I didn't know where where the evolution of this this thing goes because I hadn't cottoned on to the fact it was all related to the water quite at this point, and it was like don't mm. drink the water. But I didn't realise it was kind of going to turn them like that, like really really quickly. Um, and I just thought to themselves like they're going to do some horrible horrible thing <laughs> where like they end up eating each other. Mm. He was getting real, like, and obviously where where Nick Cage goes with it afterwards, where as he descends into kind of where he goes, um, it was really odd and and disturbing uh, in a way that I wasn't expecting. I I, I, I thought they were just going to go down like a possession route with it, where like they this entity takes over them from a like a mental point of view. But no, what they did with it was stunning. Really, really well done. Mm. It, have you ever looked at alpaca in the face? Like, uh, not on? personally, no. They, they, it's almost like this is what their end game is that they want. They want to be part of you. Is it? You know, they they run wild up north like in fields and stuff, and you know when them kind of public highways where you have to walk through a field to get to the other side, and you're not yeah. protected mm. from cows and stuff. And there's one like there's one like that, but it's an alpaca field. In I mean, this is like North Yorkshire, so say <laughs> say what you will. But this was all before lockdown. No no tears are broken. Um, but yeah, I mean, you you have to go past them, and they're like, they're terrifying things. When when they kept escaping all the time, I thought, yeah, well, yeah, because they, they can do that anyway. Let alone with alien powers. <laughs> but I, was, I, was I like just, that I, we've turned into a zoological podcast now. Yeah, zoological <laughs> podcast talking about <laughs> color blindness and eye eye issues. 
something for everyone. But yeah, I mean, al- always waiting for an alpaca to die because they're terror. They don't. I don't get on with them very well. <laughs> where, first. where did the alpaca touch? I don't you think on any podcast has ever said that. <laughs> Al- alpacas would touch me off if, if they could do. You can just tell. They look all, all fluffy and cute, and now they're not. <laughs> like, like really like the hybrid like deer sheep. She'll be killed. Anyway. Or milked, as this yeah. film uh, wants you to believe. <laughs> so, as the red infects, the mother and the youngest have been decimated. The father's losing his mind. The oldest boy seemingly killed. There's only the girl left who has any sense, any grasp on reality, and we've already seen her doing a Wiccan witch ceremony at the beginning of the film, so whether or not she always had her marbles, who actually knows? And unfortunately, she then gets chained into the room with Jurisa, who has now changed into a fully-fleshed alien monster, crawling around on all fours, trying to eat her. Things look bleak at this moment, but at this moment... Uh, Around this moment, Ward rocks up. He's there with the local sheriff. The blue light atop of the car, he's going round and round, signifying the help is on the way. Ward is dressed in blue denim, so literally the boys in blue arrive <laughs> <laughs> to stop this red infestation. The symbolism is outstanding here, I thought. Even though there's about half an hour left in this film, I cannot put into words what happens next. Like, without spoiling things, and I wouldn't want to spoil this film because actually from this point on, it's one of the most unique films I've ever seen. It is mind-bendingly beautiful and off the wall. My words cannot do justice to what follows in this film. It has to be seen in full colour. It is just stunning. I feel like I need to leave the film here because I... I can't say anything. I can't describe this film without ruining it, and I would hate to ruin this. It is available on Shudder. You can get yourself a trial. Watch this film. Yeah, I think like, for a change, I think you probably you're probably right with this. I think we we just end it there because it is yeah for, for the greater good. We we'll end it there talking about the it. Just ra- just go on to writing it because <laughs> yeah, you are probably right. This one this one needs. Full attention of everyone. <laughs> are we going to? Are we? Go, are we about to do a cage fighting first? Yeah. Yeah, I think there's half an hour left. Watch this damn film. It is incredible and it is unique. Yeah, well, even even telling you what happens, it, it, even if you decide to watch it afterwards, it will not do it justice. We watch can, the film. We can we can mention it the last half hour on the next episode at the start, of the next picture pod. Just so people have got a week. Yeah, that's that's a good idea. Yeah, we'll do that. So this, the budget of this film, a shockingly low six to twelve million dollars. What? Yeah, how, how, how is, did they how do is that, that with that price? Yeah, incredible. It's going to be especially some, when I tell some, you what the next budget is. Yeah, some intern basically who's trying to make his his or her name for themselves, like that once has took this on as a project. That's a whiz kid and like it's done something <laughs> outstanding and been paid jack shit diddly to do it. Basically, it's how they budgeted this. Annoyingly, the box office was one million dollars. It's all they got back on it. But in fairness, it was released at the tail end of January twenty twenty. 
and it was only released to 81 screens in the US. I don't think the box office is a good indicator of how successful or how good this film actually is. And plus, we're in that period of time now where the box office has moved on. I mean, we're not really talking about box offices. Films are now made to go to streaming sites. And this is already an exclusive on Shudder. So that $1 million, it isn't a lot, but I would be surprised if they probably haven't made their money back through other streams now. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be one where it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if four or five years down the line some random celebrity comes out and talks about it and then everyone goes and follows and goes and watches it and then it becomes a cult hit. Yeah, absolutely. Without a shadow of a doubt. So the scores on the doors, IMDb gave it a 6.2. Nope. The Metacritic score was a 70. Right, but the Rotten Tomatoes audience score was an 82% and the critical score was an 86%. Mm. So I think we can see that it's quite mixed, really. That yeah. I think it does divide people. And I, I can sort of see why it would. It, I don't think it is a film for everybody, if I'm perfectly honest. I thoroughly enjoyed it, but I don't think it is one that everybody will get something out of. It's it's very much a, a genre film. If you're not... If you're not into, if you don't like sci-fi or horror, then you're going to get nothing from this whatsoever. Mm. Yeah, I'd agree. I think um, I think IMDb is a horrendous indication of a film's success. Anyway, in looking at what like what the top two hundred films of all time are, popularity should never be an indication of quality um, in any form of life. To be fair, um, mm. but I think um, looking at the critical score and looking at you know people's uh the rotten tomatoes audience score i think is a fair a fair indication of this film really it's um it's it's good very good in parts but it's not quite it's not quite top it's not quite top tier but it's uh, it's very good i looked at some of the the non-critic reviews on amazon and they're very 50 50 but Amazon is probably the worst place to look for reviews, to be perfectly honest. Almost all of the, the negative reviews, you could tell they clearly didn't understand the film. I don't mean that to sound hoity-toity. I mean that actually this film does have so many fucking levels that <laughs> if you don't appreciate a, a, a deep dive, you probably ain't going to get the best out of it. I had a look at some of the other <clears throat> reviews. <clears throat> so Ed Potton from The Times UK... Stylized weirdness can only take you so far. Like, fuck off, mate. <laughs> I'm starting to hate the times because every time <laughs> they get mentioned, they just give shitty reviews. Uh, There's one from Jack Wilson at the The Age, which is an Australian one, which I, I thought this was quite a good review. Cage in particular is very much in his element, proving his reputation as an undisciplined weirdo is less than deserved. His performance is one long freak out, but a carefully collaborated one, escalating as the situation deteriorates. Excellent review of his performance there. The enemy said he was intense, unpredictable and harrowing moral tale, with Cage putting in his most nuanced turn in the last decade. And what I thought was probably the best one of all was from the Rotten Tomatoes' own critic, saying it's a welcome return for director Richard Stanley. Colour Out of Space mixes tart B-movie pulp with visually alluring Lovecraftian horror with a dash of gonzo Nicolas Cage. I don't think anyone could put it better than that. To yeah, be nail on the head, isn't it, that? That's yeah. Fair. 
So the good, the bad, and the crazy. Uh, Matt, start us off, mate. Yeah, um, from from my point of view, um, the good, the originality, and the family's whole performance, I think, was was really good. It wasn't a film that was dominated by one good Nick Cage performance, which I think often overshadows a lot of other people because of how out there he is when he is good and how um, he gets his characters across. He's done in such um, in a way that's not overbearing, but because he's the star, the focus is on him. But I thought the family in general were, were really, the dynamics were really good. The conversations that they had, the way that they interacted, I thought felt real and felt mm. legitimate. Um, and it was done in a really good way. This might be one of the only examples of a film where the little kid isn't a massive twat and and <laughs> makes the film yeah. like isn't incredibly irritating. Um, so I thought that was a really really good thing. One of the bad. This is a personal taste preference. Now this film was a little a little too arty for my taste. Mm-hmm. If I'm honest, it just it was just a little bit. I think the word I'd use would be overindulgent in okay. some in its use of kind of throwing out these visual effects, which were great. It was just a slightly too much for me. But I'm, 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 you know, I'm nitpicking for the sake of finding something to, to critique. Really, um, the, the crazy we've discussed already in the the finger scene when when she cuts off her finger. Um, like the the actual we talked about the um, the sound and and everything, but actually the the physical action of it and how much of her finger she chops off was really well done um mm. and and done so in a way that i wasn't i wasn't expecting and um kind of set the tone for some more of the gruesome and horror elements of the film to come excellent Stu, absolutely loved it <laughs> i when I, I watch it again what the for the same reason that we haven't talked about it when I watched this first and I just said, watch it as soon as you can, mm. because it's just class. I mean, I, it would be, I mean, when we do the, the uh, re-review of our top five, this is in the top five, no doubt whatsoever. It's, I mean, it's high eights, maybe even a nine one, maybe. Um, it's, oh, it's just absolutely superb. Everyone, there's no bad performances in it. Everyone does, Exactly what's expected, and for a budget that I mean, it doesn't matter because I, did, I thought the budget was much bigger than that anyway. But it, there was mm. no dodgy effects anywhere, really. It's the score was perfect. I mean, watching it, like Matt said, it watching it in if you can, obviously, not everyone can, but if you watch it in the best telly or screen that you've possibly got, I'd say even if you've got an AMOLED tablet or an AMOLED phone, watch it on that rather than your big TV because the colors just pop. Like we've we've said for the last half hour or so, it's it's just everything. Mm. It's just a really if yeah. you like sci-fi, you like horror, you like a bit of both, and you like Nick Cage. This is everything you could possibly dream of. Mm. It's incredible. Have you got any anything bad to say about it? No, nothing, nothing yeah. whatsoever. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, so my good, bad, and crazy. I'm going to echo Matt's sentiments. I thought the young actors were really good in this. How many times have we watched films and said, I hope that fucking kid dies because they're just annoying as shit in it. But actually, they're all fantastically well cast. They're all really good young actors. Really impressed. And I thought the young girl who actually played, I don't, it's harsh to say she was the lead actress because 
everyone was lead almost. You know, yeah. there, there was a, it was weighted to everybody. But I thought Madeline Arthur, I thought she was tremendous, pretty much carrying the film for, for the majority of it. Tremendous performance from her. The bad, it's subjective because some people like a film where you need to watch it a couple of times to, to truly appreciate it. Some people just want to sit there and watch a film and ignore it. This one, it probably does need a couple of watches just to, to truly get the the full depth of, of everything. I like that, but it's probably not for everybody. And on that point, though, I have not, I watched this once and I haven't gone back to it because I know I'm going to probably watch it two or three times again in the rest of my entire life because it's, it's one of them films where it's that... I loved it that much. So I don't want to watch it again yet. Mm. Yeah, I get that. Savour. Savour the flavour. Exactly. Mm. Uh, my crazy, um, this is Richard Stanley's first film for 28 years. I can't believe the director hasn't released anything for 28 years. Like, it's fucking mental. He was sacked from the island of Dr. Moreau, which I think was 96. And then he did a film a couple of years prior to that. To no work, and this is what he delivers. I'm really impressed. Uh, but there was one thing that I wanted to mention that Matt texted me this morning asking if I was going to talk about the Trump links. I had mm-hmm. absolutely no idea what you were talking about when you texted me that, and I was just about to do my second watch to make the, the notes. So, the invasion of the red changing everything into a dangerous, evil mess. Obviously, that is the talk about Trump going into the White House and how the, the world has completely changed off the back of that. The the infection that the red, it's consuming the innocent. So Jack and Benny, they're the two who, I mean, Jack literally gets consumed because he's drawn into his mom's body. Benny gets taken when he's trying to save someone. The ones who fought back the red, they were the boys in blue. They were the Democrats, weren't they? Mm-hmm. No way. And, and as you pointed out when you texted me earlier, Matt, Cage outright does in Trump impersonations. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Like, Nathan becomes almost dicta- dictatorial with his children. He's, the, the sound of his voice and the, the body, the physical movements were very Trumpian. I'd, I'd never even clocked them. And... Well, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but I'm really glad you pointed that out to you, Matt. Well, it's fantastic. Listen, I'm not just devilishly handsome, Andy. I do bring a bit of depth <laughs> to this. No, but yeah, the, the first thing I noticed about it was in his actions. I thought, oh, hello. Like, what's this 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 voice and the way that he was talking? It, 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 at first, I thought it was a bit like a hippie. But I thought, no, it's definitely going into something I've heard before. What have, what, what have I heard it? Stop the count. Okay, here we go. Mm. It's Trump. And then the more I read into it, the more like I, I looked at like a few different articles that people had, had, had wrote as well, um, and how they talk about how bleak and chaotic the world is looking at the moment under the well at the time the current administration that was in, and, and actually mm. how the um, a series of events that that uh, occur. There's no, um, especially with the ending of the film, which we, we don't want to mention the world can change in such a quick way very quickly and even the most logical and normal minds can't do anything to stop it <laughs> i can't say too much um yeah it was um a strange message but it, it, isn't that the beauty of this film in a way that someone can go the entire length of the film not not take it on a concept i.e 
Um, not not recognise Nick Cage is changing in clothes throughout. That's you spotted that. That's your thing. You you got it. I had this about Trump. Mm. Stu's probably found something else that he's found in the film. We've all took something else from it. That's that shows depth and and um, character in this film alone. That, that three different people can have three different things that they take from it. So that's that's excellent. I can't think of another film on this list where we've all done that really. No, especially no, for right. what's effectively an indie film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So what we're saying is, if Biden wins this election, do we owe this all to Nick Cage? I mean, we <laughs> have to, don't we? You know yeah, what I mean? absolutely. We're going to get Nick Cage on the next ballast, I think. It's going to be Nick Cage 2028. <laughs> <laughs> so the two questions, did you enjoy this film? I, I can't recommend this highly enough. If you like horror, it's for you. If you like sci-fi, it's for you. If you want a film you can enjoy on a singular level, crack on. If you want one that's littered with symbolism, meaning, hidden depths, it's for you. If you want art house, it's for you. It's so good. And apparently this is going to be part of a trilogy of Lovecraft films from Richard Stanley. I cannot wait to see what he brings us next. Matt? What do you think? Absolutely, um, it's it's got a lot of things going for it in terms of its its actual wider appeal. The reasons you've said, if you like sci-fi, horror, etc., etc. Um, I could actually recall about it all day, really. Yep, just go watch it. Do yourself a favour. Don't listen to us in a way. Just go watch it, <laughs> enjoy it, then come back and see. Did you pick up on the same things that we did? Yeah, uh, Stu, you've exposed your love. Have you got anything you'd like to add? <laughs> Not really. I mean. When I jokingly said about Trump's America without even knowing this conversation existed today, so maybe maybe it was there in the back of my mind as well. Who knows? Mm. But no, I think it's just. I think with the fact that we've said that two people meld into one, and it's not even the biggest talking points of the film. <laughs> um, says it all, doesn't it? It, it yeah. absolutely says it all. No, yeah, I absolutely loved it, and. and when, as soon as I watched it, I told loads of people to go and watch it. If they listen to me, probably not. <laughs> Who knows? But it was out there, and I've, it'll be out there when this is released as well. Uh, talk to people and recommend it to as many people as you possibly can because it's, it's a work of art. Mm. And obviously, your second question in this film and this film alone is Nicolas Cage good or bad? Stu? 100% good. Yeah, nothing else to say. He's, he was, That's he was exactly. It. He was like that. Like that review um, from Rotten Tomatoes said he was back on form. Mm. That's all you can ask. I think when we've looked at Cage films, the ones where he, for me, where we've said he's good, he has an actual arc and growth of character. Mm. He's not just the same character throughout. He becomes somebody else at the end of it, and this exactly what happens in this film he gets a proper meaty role that he can sink his teeth into. And that's why it's 100% good from me as well. Matt? Same. Clean sweep. Yeah, shackles are off for him. Um, and I think what we're learning, he's definitely a motivational actor, i.e. if he believes in the project, you're getting the performance from him, i.e. Yeah. Left behind. <laughs> um, and and he, he's fully immersed in this, so yeah. 100% clean sweep from uh, from the trio here. Fantastic. So, yeah, as Stu said, 
like at the beginning we were originally going to pair this with face off and i'm thoroughly delighted that we did not do that i think those films probably would have clashed a little bit too much and they needed a bit more breathing space i was going to pair it with mandy <laughs> um which having recently seen that that film I can't wait to do another rewatch of Mandy just because I feel that that is probably going to be on a level to this. And again, it's another one that needs that little bit of breathing space. So pairing it with knowing. So I guess we're going from the mind blowing to the mind numbing. ago, the students of William Dawes Elementary imagined what the future might hold. Today, we unveiled their legacy. It's a list of dates. Every major global disaster for the last 50 years in perfect sequence. The next number on the chain predicts that tomorrow, 81 people are going to die in some kind of tragedy. Get off the train. Why? What's wrong? Just take the baby and get off the train. Estimates put the presumed dead at 81. The prediction came true. It's not coincidence. So, 2009's Knowing. (sighs) (laughs) Why is it in Hollywood? Like, we've just seen a film in a proper independent movie where the kids were great in it. In Hollywood, they only seem to hire annoying little fuckers. The dipshit from Mum and Dad, the idiot kid from Left Behind, the little fucker from Pay the Ghost. There's a running theme pretty much in all of the the bigger budget movies. And it's no different here for me, to be perfectly honest. We start off with some exposition. Fair enough, at least it's not a voiceover. But we get this scene which is set in the 1950s. The local school, they're burying a time capsule and the kids are putting their hand in, uh, sorry, <clears throat> putting in their hand-drawn pictures into the time capsule so that kids in 50 years' time can see what the kids of the past thought the future was going to be. 50 years later, Nick Cage's kid goes to the same school who were digging up the time capsule. Everyone gets a picture. Everyone, that is, but Nick Cage's kid. He gets papers with row upon row of numbers on them. The scene where he uncovers the letter was appalling. The kid is staring off into the middle distance at some weird man who is staring back at him. And then he gets distracted by a classmate who runs over and says, what did you get? Boring. Everyone got a picture and then runs off. Like There's no conversation. There's no reaction from either of the kids. Just completely fucking tone deaf. I've got to read this and then go. And that's all he does. The acting was appalling in that scene. But to be fair, there was... Being around kids of that age, they can be like that. So that was that one the the part that got me. That it was. Do you fir- want to clarify that you've got children? Yeah, still, yeah, not yeah, just yeah. The anger age with kids. Yeah, for uh, for legal reasons. Now, how yeah, will, the, now how will I edit this podcast? Do I? <laughs> I have the power here in my hands. <laughs> There's the same bite for Twitter again. Um, <laughs> quack quack. The only part of was. He's when he's talking when he's like back chatting cage 
And he thought, no, this this wouldn't happen. This is like really bad, really really bad child acting, and that's mm. and it's on a par with like I was gonna say Phantom Menace, but mm, that's pushing it a bit much. <laughs> that was I mean the kids together weren't as much of a thing for me just because I've seen that happen and yeah <laughs> you haven't got one fine run away that that happens so that weren't a big as much of a gripe. One thing I need to question is fifty years long enough for a time capsule. I yeah. thought that. I mean, it's it's not really, is it? Not much has changed. People, I mean, obviously people may have died, but they'll be late 50s, early 60s. They look like they're about 9, 10 maybe. So it's yeah. not a massive frame of time. If you're talking about 100 years, okay, fine. But yeah, yeah but you're probably right. You watch stuff from the 50s, like things like Land of the Giants, and everyone thought we'd have flying cars and robot help in mm-hmm. the house, not, not just a Roomba. So, from from their point of view, mm, you look at nice. the twenty tens or whatever, twenty two thousand and nine or whatever it was. Think, oh, so that's a future date. Things are going to be mad then. No, we just got a bit more chrome everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so the man who was uh, being stared at, he vanishes. We've only seen Nick Cage's kid three times in this, and they've taken great pains to make sure we know he's wearing an hearing, uh, hearing aid. It doesn't actually play any fucking role in the rest of the film, so I don't know why they kept bringing it up. It's proper weird, that was. Cage then finds the paper that the kid has taken home. After spilling some whiskey on it and leaving (laughs) a glass ring around it, he sees some random numbers. He goes over to his board and writes them down. 911-01-299-6407. They're the numbers he writes down. Except I rewound this. That whiskey circle stain does not start around the number nine. So he just decides to throw that number nine in. Because why not? And also the stain includes that 407, but then he leaves them off the board. So, like, he's just making this shit up. He's like, I'll just pick out those numbers. Mm. I have another another number gripe as well. Um, It's not quite flag-waving Americana that Left Behind was. But why do the cosmic force? Why do the cosmic forces understand the Americans' wrong way of doing the date? Yes, I mean considering the vast majority of the Earth does it the other way. I think there's only like about eight countries who do uh, month, day, year. Mm-hmm. So you are right. The other thing that pissed me off. So you know num- it would be. In this case, so if we're talking American, you would have two numbers for the month, two numbers for the day, four numbers for the year, wouldn't you? Oh, sorry, no, two numbers for the year. So it just starts with a nine. It should be zero nine. Mm-hmm. Because if you've got that coder throughout that whole document, how are you deciding whether or not it should be one day for the year, the month or two numbers for the month? How or... do you know if it's January or if it's... Uh, October, it could be October first, for example, if it's one zero one, or it could be January tenth, uh, January first. Like, how do you choose that? The number code doesn't make any fucking sense. It really pissed me off. <laughs> it really angered me. Both of us just smiling at him at this point here. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I've, I've watched this numerous times, and I'd never even picked that up or care. I need to care about these things. 
So he figures out that the first part of this is 9-11. So he's figured out it's the 9th of November, obviously. He also checks the internet for that date. And he figures out that 290, sorry, 2,996 people died on that day. So that's the number that he manages to pick. It's quite lucky, really. He deduces that the numbers show the date and the number of people who die. And then there are some more numbers that follow after that. But considering there's no formatting, I don't know how the fuck he's worked that out. He then goes to his uh, colleague who just basically rebuffs him, tells him that he's been a crazy. He goes to visit the teacher who buried the time capsule. She seemingly has dementia because she repeatedly asks Cage if he wants some iced tea. But she remembers great fucking detail, things that happened 50 years prior. Strange. Yeah, that's classic dementia, though, that is. That's, well, that's what happens. They can remember things from shitloads of years ago, but things from the last hour. So that's what my um, uh, friend who, who died for me, eventually, um, mm. and he was like that. that it's short-term memory, he had none. But you, you t- you're asking him something from 40, 50 years ago, he's all pinhead, pinhead perfect. It's weird. I did not know that. Well, that makes a bit more sense then. Yeah. I I did chuckle at that scene, which is probably the only scene I did laugh at, where she pours (laughs) just like a shit ton of gin or whiskey into her glass. And then was just like, oh, do you want some? I was like, yeah, great. Good on you, love. So she then explains to him that the young girl who wrote all of the numbers is dead. Whilst playing in the yard, Cage's kid then goes over to a stranger's car. We get another nod to the kid wearing an earring aid in this part. Again, I don't know why. The kid and the strangers don't talk. They just stare at each other and then they hand him a small black pebble. Cage's sister comes round just for the exposition dump. Cage is estranged from his father. Made out that he doesn't care for his family because they're religious. Makes Cage look like a bit of a dick, to be honest. The piece of paper that Cage has says that 81 people were going to die today. Whilst going to pick his kid up from school, he gets stuck in traffic. He turns on his sat-nav and figures out what the other numbers meant. They were coordinates. He realises that the location of the 81 deaths is going to be here. We then get a really shitty-looking CGI plane come crashing down. I zoned out for the next seven minutes. I have literally no idea what fucking happened. Yes, well, you say shitty CGI, but there's an actual there's a, a video on YouTube of a guy, a, a pilot, uh, no, a, a guy who works for the NTSC, and they asked him to rank um, plane crashes on how authentic they were. They were on screen, mm. and he gave this an eight point five out of ten for being almost almost spot on for what exactly would happen. So. When we are talking, I mean, it did look like something from air crash investigation at points, mm. um, and it did show its age. But how it was actually shown of the bits all over the place and the oh yeah yeah the turbine and thing, and the fact that it was a one shot was that that was impressive. Um, yeah, but it was for how dodgy the CG was. It was actually really well done. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It, it had the flavour of the first episode of Lost. Um, what I found a bit strange was he was very wishy-washy in, in trying to save people. Like he'd pull somebody out of like the like, and they'd still be on fire, and he, just because he's pulled them out of a plane doesn't mean like like that's where he's like <laughs> that's where his care ends. 
Like he was just like <laughs> leave them to like. But you know, I thought he was. I thought he was really well done. I, um, I enjoyed it, but I think he was the. Fr- it was the fire that let it down. Yeah, yeah, I think mm. so. Yeah. But as I said, I just zoned out at this part. I was I was really bored. The only thing that sort of woke me back up was when the kid was staring out of his room and everything seemed to be on fire. And I was like, shit, I have missed some of this film. I've had to, <laughs> had to rewind it and rewatch it because I just lost interest straight off. Well, speak, speaking of that bit, I thought the um, score was excellent. The music and... Um, mm. The score was really impactful during the, the like the apocalyptic scene, and I thought it was really, it was really well done and built. You know, there's not a lot of tension in this film really, but it did a good job of like building drama, building suspense to to what is you think is going to happen. And normally in these films, they don't in the end. But mm. well, stay tuned. I think this is probably the earliest I've switched off in one of the films that we've watched. And let's be honest, we've watched some fucking dreck. But yeah, 40 minutes in, oh, I'm just bored. And I don't know if it's down to the fact that I'm still stewing over the fucking number four, Matty. <laughs> if, you, if you can't even get something that simple correct, why should I give a shit about the rest of the film? It really spoiled it, I found. We then get to see Rose Byrne. I'm always happy to see Rose Byrne. She's so pretty. She's the daughter of the kid who wrote the numbers on the paper. At this point, we finally find out what Nick Cage's job is. He's an astrophysics teacher. So why the fuck was he talking about determinism at the start of the film? He was teaching them like philosophical arguments, not <laughs> astrophysics. Surely that's more of a, uh, a Benjamin Gates type of thing. Mm. And throwing throwing the sun around as well. That's a health and safety <laughs> violation. It, it is a bit. Could have had someone's eye out with that. Oh, one of those kids was um, Hemsworth. Which Liam one? Hemsworth. Oh, mm. Like one of the lesser Hemsworths, but Hemsworth nonetheless. <laughs> uh, more and more strange people start turning up and staring at this kid at this point. Like each time we see these weird blonde folks, they're just there staring and it goes from like one to two to a dozen and we, we don't really know who they are. Nothing gets explained other than they're staring at the boy. Stu, is somebody, uh, did you find this authentic or... Yeah, you've got. There's no bushes to hide behind, though. Are they doing it in plain sight? <laughs> After seeing there was another incident, due Cage decides to try and stop what turns out to be a train crash. Isn't it convenient that all of these massive accidents all happen within a few hours' commute of Nick Cage? Just dangerous. Just that, there. Yeah, it is. We're just over halfway through, and honestly, nothing really happens. It's so ponderous and slow. You know what? The, the fact <sighs> that Ben Riddleston's in this film and he's completely wasted to about five minutes screen time. Yeah, I've got that in my uh, my, my bad part of this film. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's fucking offensive to have someone that good in this film. And like, honestly, I can get through the next 45 minutes like within a couple of sentences, because nothing happens from now until the last 15 minutes. Yeah, it does. It's just fucking desert. You get to the the um, the um meeting the woman and the the kid and the door. All superfluous, though. It's all irrelevant, though, isn't it? No, because she, she gets to hold a bunny in the end. Okay, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> So Rose Byrne's daughter and Cage's kids, they become friends. They're both getting bothered by these strangers. 
one of the strangers opens his mouth and a light comes out completely apropos of nothing. Rose Burns' kid is also a terrible, terrible actor. <laughs> the adults figure out that the next event on the list is going to be an extinction-level event and the world will end tomorrow. Luckily, Cage is an astrophysicist and he figures out that a giant super flare is going to destroy the whole world and that nothing he can do will change it. Cage finds his annoying kid is now scrawling numbers on a piece of paper. Doesn't seem to have any bearing. It doesn't come back into play. Utterly fucking pointless. Yeah, I did Cage think... It, were, they, cause they, they, were these like coordinates for something else afterwards? I thought, because I'd, you know, I'd watched it what, when it came out because it was a, mm. <laughs> as a date film, and um, so I hadn't watched it since, and I remember liking it at the time. And but this I completely forgot about why he was doing that. But obviously we know why because he was, he started scrolling into his desk, and then it, it flicked in his mind what he had to do and to go and look for, look for the door that we'll come on to in a minute, I presume. Um, but yeah. yeah, I just thought well. If they were in numbers for a somewhere else, something or somewhere else, that would have been pretty cool to come back to that, but it, it never happened. Wasted opportunity. Yeah, very much so. So as you say, at this point, this is when Cage remembers something the teacher said about the girl writing numbers down on a door because she got interrupted. He remembers to drive to the school and takes the door off his hinges and drives home so to paint, uh, strip the paint off the door and find the numbers. There is so much craziness in these. <laughs> right, it's a it's an absolute slice of luck that the doors have not been changed in fifty years. It's another slice of luck that he finds the one fucking door that he needs, and more importantly, it makes no sense. None of it made any sense. He theorised that the coordinate she wrote down on this door would be the safety point. Why would he assume that? We know that everything that's happened is the epicenter of the the crash or the devastation that is due to come why would he assume that that point is not going to be where the solar flare hits the earth again just it's the logic leaps that keep pissing me off in this film and I, I, it spoils it for me when did you um when did you get when it said ee backwards that it, it meant everyone else straight away i presume well I kept thinking, because it annoyed me, I thought she should have put E-L-E, because E-L-E is shorthand for extinction level event. So I thought it meant extinction event, not everyone else. So I sort of got the same answer, but just in a, a roundabout way. It was one of them chill moments when the, when they lift up the bed and it does say everyone else. Oh, ooh, chill moment. But I don't know why. <laughs> it was, <laughs> you got, kind of got it by that point. I thought it was... It's the um, the smooth stones everywhere, which again, never that was weird. It was all because I thought I thought at first are they, are they taking kids and replacing them with stones? Because that's what you kind of hinted at, and again, it was just never really mentioned again. It's they were just there. No, no, it wasn't. It's like a sticker at the dentist. <laughs> <laughs> so the coordinates on the door they were for the cabin in the woods that Rose Burns's mother lived at. The kids get kidnapped by the strange men. Whilst chasing them, Rose Byrne gets into an accident and dies. Cage still decides to head to the cabin. He gives up on finding the kids. But luckily for him, that's exactly where they've gone as well. 
It turns out the strangers were aliens. The kids get taken to another planet, we see writing on the streets and there are no children left. Almost like the children across the world have been taken. Somewhere in the sky is a pilot who looks a lot like Nick Cage is trying to land a plane in the middle of fucking nowhere. I thought we'd left all that behind. <laughs> I think I may have got my Nick Cage my Nick Cage films mixed up. Everyone dies, basically the end. I hated this film. <laughs> but were they aliens? Well, were they aliens? Or this is this is the point. This is where you, where the interesting thing starts. Because you look at it at the end, the interesting bit starts at the end. <laughs> <laughs> you you said about about rewatching things, and I got more through watching this again eleven years later than I did the first time round. And you look at them and the, uh, the hollow people, and when he opens his mouth, there's a pure light, angelic light, and taking them away to start anew. And you got the two kids on the on the new world with a tree of life. I think it, that was a bit like hidden in plain sight kind of thing. Well, why would you just have a massive tree in the middle of this field with holding two dressed in robes with two with bunnies? It's like Easter. It's very it's a little bit symbolic and in. in symbolism and stuff in colour out of space but this was it was almost in your face that it was or does it mean that aliens made us in the first place or are we, <laughs> is it all is, is it is Scientology real and I think I knew I knew that you'd hate this anyway because Goldie hates it as well and there was never any hope there was never any hope that you'd like it it was never gonna happen was it but yeah, the, so when the aliens reveal their true identity, they've got wings as well. So like they're, they're clearly supposed to be angels. I, I did shout fuck off at the TV screen <laughs> when that happened. Because <laughs> it ends up just being left behind. We get the non-believer Nick Cage, who they make out to look like a bit of a dick, and that if they believed, maybe they would be saved. So what was originally a film that just pissed me off, it was a film that actually fucking insulted me at the end. <laughs> I just didn't like it. I mean, you had the bits where that they weren't because, like you said about the hearing aid, because it, it didn't make any sense because the girl she didn't have a hearing aid, and mm. it was never insinuated that all the other kids in the other pods that were taken to this world had hearing aids either. Mm. So maybe it was just a just a plot device to say, "Oh yeah, there's interference in my ear." Maybe that that's, that's all as basic as it was. Yeah, maybe. It just seemed like it was really poorly planned out, to be perfectly honest. So the budget on this film was $50 million. In 2009. Uh, yeah. How the fuck have they spent that much when we've just sat through, like, Colorator Space that was done for, at most, a fifth of that? And, yeah, they spent $50 million on something that looked mostly ugly, if I'm perfectly honest. There was nothing particularly unique looking about this film or anything at all. I was really quite disappointed with that, especially for that sort of money. Yeah, it, the box office. It, say, it, year, it hasn't aged as well as I thought it would have done. And you look at a lot of um, like twenty twelve that came three, obviously three years later, um, mm. and that looks awful now as well. You look at some yeah. of, some of the water effects and stuff like that, and it was it was almost an over. Over relying on CG in places, and that's where the money's gone. You, yeah, you can it's tell. Be. You can tell that it has, and it just—it's one of them things where you don't. If you don't get it spot on at the time, I mean, even Gollum looks a bit dodgy now. If you want to pick faults at old CG, mm. um, 
and that was groundbreaking at the time. It's just one of them things where it's looking at it in twenty twenty lens, and especially after watching that masterpiece, it just comes off really poor. Yeah. The box office return was 183 million. I, I honestly don't know why it got so much. There's nothing particularly going for this film, especially at this point. Nick Cage isn't quite the big name actor he was when we're looking at 2009. Like his halcyon days are a little bit behind him at this point. We're in the, the middle of the dirge almost here. People so have I don't a, know how this got so much. Well, people have a morbid fascination with like the end of the world and stuff like that, don't they? And and films of that nature. And I just think you know, people to quote Peep Show as I always do. You know, people voted for the Nazis. You can't trust people, mate. Mm. So do you know what I mean? Like it's it's one of those. Like I, I, I bet I've not seen the trailer for it ahead of time, but I bet you know there's an element of flag bearing Americanism in it that will get people going to it potentially. Um, but it's just, you know, people like end of the world stuff. It's, it's something that is always how, you know, from, from the beginning of, of film, people have had a, a fascination with things that they can't or won't experience in their lives. So I think, you know, just if you were to describe, to describe the film to people and not critique it, so to describe what happens in, it, I think it piques people's interest. Yeah. It was five years after the day after tomorrow. And again, extension level event, all that kind of mm. is disaster movie um, kind of season that that kind of 10, 15 years. There's loads of them and they're, they're all great or shit, depending on what, you, what your viewpoint is. So that's that's why you made the money, because people like this stuff. I, I don't remember this being sold as an end of the world type of film. I vaguely remember it being more of a... Um, Maybe I got it mixed up with Next in my mind because I thought it was something where they knew what was going to come. Mm. It, knowing was that he knew what was happening. So I'd got these two films a bit mixed up in my head and it's obviously not that type of film in the end of it. But I still wouldn't have expected it to have got you know almost four times its budget. The IMDb score is a 6.2. The Metacritic is a 41. That's more like it. <laughs> the Rotten Tomatoes audience score was a 42. And the Rotten Tomatoes critic score was a 33%. It is a rotten film. Amazon has it at 4.4 out of 5 with 68% five-star reviews. Yep. Some of my favourites. <laughs> the best time to watch this movie is with your family. This movie will... <laughs> This movie will make you think twice about those who are willing to care for you. I don't know what film he's watched. This next one, uh, I bought this for my uh, for a present for my 12-year-old daughter. She's wanted it for ages. She says it's the best thing ever. This film's a 15. You should not be giving this film to your 12-year-old daughter. And like, how has she been wanting this film for fucking ages? <laughs> like, I would be amazed if she'd even seen it before. Uh, my favourite one, though, is from someone called JJ, and they reviewed it only last month. Having a lifetime littered with premonitions that came true and scare family and friends, I relate to this. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Can we, can we get in contact with this, this man? I, I would really like to know more about uh, these premonitions that have scared his family. So the good, the bad, and the crazy. Um, for my good, I've just got Rose Byrne is so pretty. 
<laughs> it, it's a two-hour slog. It is running in treacle. Like you've got a film with Nicolas Cage, Ben Mendelsohn, Rose Byrne, and every performance is just one note. There is no deviation. It just plods along. And those kids are horrific. They are so bad. They are so wooden. And, like, don't get me wrong. I understand that acting is an art. And, you know, not every kid is going to be Macaulay Culkin. I get that. But they were fucking horrific. I I would rather be eaten by the sun than have to sit (laughs) and watch this film again. It was appalling. Um, And the crazy... Right, so the hearing aid goes absolutely nowhere. Those black pebbles go absolutely nowhere. Where did the aliens come from? Like, they just sort of appear. Have they always been? We don't know. There was no real explanation to any of that stuff. It was an absolute shambolically made film. I can't even think of how you could tweak this film to make it watchable. It should never have been made. The script is incomprehensibly bollocks. Awful. Um, Matt? I liked it. But no, anyway, uh, nice. So good. Um, the concept I thought was fun. I, I, I like end of the world type films. I like um, conspiracy theory kind of films. And I like the concept I thought was good. The idea of the execution might not have been fantastic, but the concept behind it was good. I like the idea of um, this this number pattern deciphering it. There wasn't enough. You know, he got he, he, he solved it far too quickly for my liking mm. um for a film that that lasted far too long which is my bad it was it could have done with a half an hour trim um you know doesn't necessarily ruin a film django unchanged is half an hour too long as far as i'm concerned but it's still a great film mm. um but it was too long it plodded on um i started to tire quite early on into it into this becoming a bit of a slog than as opposed to enjoying it um the, the crazy we've almost she almost touched on it um which was, I, I thought this was in the same um, universe as City of Angels, as I thought at one point they were just they were they were going to end up just taking people away, and it was the Rapture, and, and actually they were there as a um, as angels to take people away, and I thought Nick Cage's friends um, were going to appear in that way. Um, it didn't really challenge us, like to, to make you go, oh my, what a twist or anything like that, but. Um, yeah, Stu. <laughs> the um, some of the angels looked a bit like Spike as well from Buffy, which was quite mm. fun. Um, I liked it at the time, and it, I was in the very much in the minority of people. Goldie already mentioned Dean, probably the same year. Yeah, get well soon, Dean. Um, it's I watched it again and. Apart from the the CG, I remembered why I liked it in the first place, but I didn't like it as much. So maybe that's kind of that says it all, really. That it's in at the time when I watched it in two thousand and nine, I really liked it, but things have moved on a bit. And it, like you, you both said it does kind of plod a bit, and mm. this was one of what then because I did, I knew pretty much basically I remembered a lot of it. I don't, I don't pay. I thought well, put it on at ten o'clock. We finish by half eleven or whatever. No. So I was kind of getting tired anyway. But even saying that, apart you take away the rubbish CG, I still liked it. I mean, I still, it was still watchable for me. I mean, I, the kids are terrible, obviously. Um, no one's really excellent in this film. <laughs> but 
but even even saying that, it's got a, a good few ideas. Um, the craziness is just that last five minutes with the the tree of life, and I just thought, well, why why have you done that for? If if, you, mm. if they didn't show that, I think you probably then you are left to your own your own device thinking, well, which one do you want to go with? You still have aliens, you have angels, which is which you choose. But having that, it's kind of like a smack in your face. Yeah, this is Christianity. Mm. And there's no real need for it either. You could see them that we, all they have to do is pan around to see all the other ships and then cut to black. There's like one second and it kind of, you make it more interesting in, t- in not showing that for me. But yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed it again, but just not as much as first time around. Mm. I mean, I haven't even touched on the fact that actually this film is over two hours long. You, like you are right. Half an hour could have definitely saved this film, made it a lot punchier and at least a bit more interesting. Mm. Um, I mean, I, my general rule is a film needs to be between 90 minutes and 120. Anything over that, it's got to be exceptional. And at two hours one, it's 121 minutes too long for me, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> so the, uh, the the last two questions then, did you enjoy this film? I'll start off. I've just written fuck off. Um, Stu? <laughs> Yeah, I did. It's it's a it's a glorified disaster movie at the end of the day with a different plot to what you normally get. So if you like disaster films, you'd enjoy this. That's fair, Matt. Yeah, I I enjoyed it. It's not it's not going to be watched again anytime soon, and I haven't gone on to what's happened. Got anybody bugging anybody to try and watch it as I have with Mom and Dad and Color Out of Space recently. So that that says it all. But I I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I enjoyed it. And I said to you guys, I think it was yesterday or the day before, I won't be talked out of it. Uh, <laughs> it is on that it is on that it is on that spectrum though that I don't feel that strongly about it that I um you know will sing it from the rooftops. But I enjoyed it as a you know, as a as a film. I won't go back to it anytime soon and I won't, you know, recommend it to that many people, but um it was it was serviceable, satisfactory. You know what I mean? Mm. Sorry, so disappointed. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and based on this film and this film alone, was Nick good or was he bad? Matt starts off. Oh, this is this is a waiting for the results of Philadelphia or Pennsylvania kind of thing. Mm. Um, uh, no, I'm going to say no. Purely like he doesn't bring anything. You know, he doesn't bring anything amazing that makes you think. Yeah, he's put his heart and soul into this, or, he, or his character doesn't do anything mm. that makes you think um, he's gone above and beyond for that role. I th- he, he was he was okay, but if we want to put him in the upper echelons of, of of great acting talent, and you'd only watch this film, I don't think you can put him up there. No, um, for me, just to sort of expand on what you said, I felt he was very. If, if you put him on litmus paper. He was a PH seven the whole way through the film. You know, yeah, he, he never, he didn't deviate. He was just flatline throughout. Neutral. So it's a no from me because I, I, I know he's done better. Mm-hmm. We, we've we've seen that he's done better when we discussed the last film. This was just MOR, just middle of the road. Stu, do you want to tell us we're wrong? I think I'm going to kind of bring a new uh, new scale to this and. Could you replace him with Matthew Broderick and be the same performance? 
And <laughs> in this, probably yes. So he's not a good actor. Not not what just going off this performance because every no, there's no good actors in this film. It's just very, very much a six out of ten for everyone. Well, yeah, I think I think that's fair. No one was outstandingly poor, other than the kids, obviously. But no one really shone either. And and we've seen Ben Mendelsohn, we've seen Rose Byrne, and we've seen Nicolas Cage do good fucking work. And it, we just didn't in this. <clears throat> okay, so that's us done. Okay, so that is us done for another week. Back with your question cast next week, so make sure you get your questions to us at Cage Fighting Pod on the Twitter or cagefightingpod at gmail.com on the emails. So for this week, Stu, would you like to say goodbye? Stay safe, guys. Matt, would you like to say goodbye? Take it easy. And it's goodbye from me. And remember, if a super chronal flare is about to engulf the world, do not waste your fucking time watching Knowing First. (laughs) (laughs) See you next week. (laughs) 